You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. And welcome to Spookulative Evolution. Hello, David. Hoorah, Will. (laughs) And hello, listeners. Welcome to this year's Spookulative Evolution. Spooky! We're back for 2022. Yep. This year... We are exploring the monsters of Dungeons and Dragons. And we're so nerdily excited about it. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, for any of you that this is your first time, and as a reminder to everyone else, Spooky is a series where we investigate classic, famous, popular monsters of movies, books, mythology, so on and so forth, and say what steps of evolution would it take to achieve a creature like that monster. Right. The way that we often like to say it is, if we were to use the toolkit of real-life natural selection, how might we arrive at this creature or something close enough to it that it would make its way into the books? Yeah, so we'll try to cover the features of that monster, its abilities, its look, maybe even its evolutionary you know, deep-time history. Yeah, hence the title, Spookulative Evolution. And by the end of the episode, we will come up with our own version, our own spooky version of this creature. Now, this is just meant to be fun, so we're not making any definitive statements about how something like this would have to evolve. No, we're just playing with scientific concepts. And for this year, we will be investigating monsters from the tabletop RPG game, Dungeons & Dragons. You might have heard about it. Yeah, and if you haven't, D&D, Dungeons & Dragons, is a... Tabletop role-playing game, you use dice and character sheets, and you have adventurers. You play an adventurer in a magical world where you are trying to go on quests, save people, steal gold, go into dungeons, fight monsters, fight bad guys. You use dice to figure out how well you do the things your character wants to try to do, and you have fun with your friends. And one person at the table is the leader, the dungeon master, who runs the story, runs the game. And that person is equipped with a bunch of information about the places, people, items, and monsters that exist in the world. Yes. Now, these monsters are what we'll be talking about. These are the typical enemies that you'd be fighting, and they come in all shapes and sizes. For this year's Spooky, we have chosen some of the most classic, iconic, and intriguing for our purposes, D&D monsters. Yeah, and we pulled info from the D&D books as well as from the Forgotten Realms wiki for anyone who's curious. Thanks to all the people who maintain the Forgotten Realms wiki. Yep. Forgotten Realms is one of the worlds in D&D and this wiki covers basically all the info you could want for that realm. This episode, we are starting our year off with the Owl Bear. Hoot, growl, hoot, growl. <laughs> this is one of the classics. And as the name suggests, if you don't know what an owl bear is, if you picture a bear with the head of an owl and like talons on its front paws instead of bear claws, you pretty much got an owl bear. Mm-hmm. Classic chimera made up monster. Yes. And as our resident DM, David. Would you like to give us a description, an a in-book description of what the owlbear is? Hey, I sure would. So I turned to the Monster Manual, which is the book that has a bunch of the information about monsters, and I've pulled some info to get us started. Now, for all of the D&D nerds out there, we are sticking with 5th edition. Yes. I looked at the 5th edition Monster Manual. I did not look through all the different editions. So this description comes from 5e. 
an owl bear is a large, so it's in the same size class as brown bears, polar bears. Like this is a big bear-like animal. Like you said, owl bears are described as having a bear-like body and an owl-like head. The 5e Monster Manual actually describes them as having a shaggy coat covered in feathers. Yeah. So the, the picture in the 5e Monster Manual is you can see the fur, but then the front half of the body also has these feathers over it. Yeah, that it kind of transitions from fur to feathers as you move from the f- back to the front. Yes, and then those front limbs are either big bear claws or bird of prey talons or something that kind of marries the two. Owl bears are described in the book as being ferocious, aggressive, stubborn, ill-tempered, and that they will attack without provocation. <laughs> A true D&D monster. Yes. <laughs> now, in terms of the game statistics, so there are numbers and descriptions that go along with the monster so that you can play as them in the game. A couple of notes about an owl bear's capabilities. They have extremely high strength and constitution, which Make- is to say they are strong, Tough, durable creatures. Makes sense as a bear thing. They are classified as monstrosities. So in D&D, normal animal things, like just like a wolf or a crocodile, are usually classified as beasts. Monstrosity is for all the things that are kind of a monstrous animal thing. Yeah, They're just a little bit weirder, a little bit. They're not quite unfathomable, and they're not elemental but they're a little more monstrous than your typical creature. Yeah, these are the the movie monster type things. Yes. Owl bears also have a bunch of really good senses, so they get bonuses to perceiving their environment with sight and smell, which I think is interesting because it's take combining owl and bear yeah. abilities. They also have dark vision, the ability to see in darkness or dim light, and an owl bear's main attack is to attack multiple times using both its beak and claws. All right. That's the physical presence of an owl bear. In terms of when this animal shows up, uh, owl bears are really tough, dangerous creatures for early level characters in game. Yeah. The Monster Manual also has a bunch of information about the behavior and what we know about the life of owl bears. So here's some uh, natural history notes. Owl bears, unsurprisingly, are predators. They are said to hunt in dense forests during the night. The Monster Manual describes the noise they make as hooting and screeching, <laughs> uh, which is distinct from the noises that I've been making. Yeah, yeah. The the <laughs> the who are is from other D and D fan stuff. And hoot growl, hoot growl. I stole from Fantasy High. <laughs> Owl bears are said to hunt alone or sometimes in mated pairs. They have dens that they create in caves or ruins. They'll drag their kills to the den. And the Monster Manual also says that they store portions of carcasses there. Yeah. Which attract scavengers that also become prey for the elders. <laughs> <laughs> Owl bears are noted to be difficult to tame. But, of course, this is D&D, so people want to tame everything. Uh, as it says, quote, with enough time, food, and luck. <laughs> owl bears can be trained as guards or mounts, so you can ride a tamed owl bear, or as pets, uh, specifically for giants. <laughs> giants will keep owl bears as pets. <laughs> There's also a note in the monster manual about the origins of the owl bear, like the in world origins. Yeah, why they exist. And according to the book, scholars suggest that a misguided wizard created the first owl bear 
by crossing a giant owl, which is a, also a thing that exists in D&D, with a bear. So a wizard did it. A wizard did it. <laughs> but apparently this is contentious among scholars in the made-up world of D&D, <laughs> because, as the book says, venerable elves claim to have known owl bears for thousands of years in the Feywild. The Feywild is the realm of fey creatures like elves and, and gnomes and stuff. So owl bears might just have come from a mystical alternate realm of the world, the Feywild, or maybe they were invented by a wizard who did a bad thing. Yeah, cobbled together. One other note, there are alternate versions of owl bears that show up in various different supplements and books and stuff. Uh, there are weird things like skeletal owl bears and two-headed owl bears. Yeah. But the one I wanted to draw attention to is the snowy owl bear, which appears in the book uh, Rime of the Frostmaiden, which, as the book describes it, combines the physical features of a snowy owl and a polar bear. Neat. So it's kind of like a natural variation, like a geographical, like this is a diff, this is like a subspecies <laughs> of owl bear. It's a regional variant. <laughs> yes, it's a regional variant. It lives in the tundra, and in terms of game mechanics, like what it can do within the rules of the game, it is extra good at swimming. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. So it's got a, it's, it's same concept, but they chose a slightly different bear and a slightly different owl yeah. to make the creature. That's fun. Owl bears are super cool monsters, and uh, I have some extra tidbits about their potential anatomy. The Forgotten Realms pulls from more than just the most recent fifth edition of D&D. But before that, since we talked a bit about their origins in the world, I wanted to give a little bit of history as to how they were created for the game in the real world. Right. And the, or their origins in our world. Yes, how they were written. In, in the remembered realms. <laughs> Owlbears are one of the first monsters ever created for D&D. This is very classic mm -hmm. Dungeons and Dragons. So much so, in fact, that they their origins actually date back to before D&D, when Gary Gygax, the originator of Dungeons and Dragons, was playing a previous game, a kind of predecessor to D&D called Chainmail. Mm -hmm. which some people may be familiar with. This is one of the old, old school tabletop games. And when running games with his friends, he was on the lookout for new monsters to pit his friends' players against in this game. So he would often go looking for figurines at like thrift shops and like, you know, nickel and dime stores. Just do you have some random, you know, figures that I can turn into a big monster on the tabletop? Yeah, yeah. And so the story goes, one time he found a bag that was labeled prehistoric animals and it was made in Hong Kong and included a bunch of Japanese kaiju. Sure, sure. So it had a bunch of like Godzilla and Rodan and old movie kaiju, as well as some just kind of generic kaiju-y looking things, of which these figures gave birth to the bullet. Oh, the big digging mm -hmm. kind of mole-like D&D monster. The rust monster. The sort of bug-like creatures that will destroy metal weapons and armor. And the owlbear. Cool. So this is where the figures came. Now, the figure did not look like what we picture an owlbear is now. The original figure for the owlbear had a beakish face and a furry body, but it was standing up like a Godzilla monster right. with a big, long, furry tail. It looks a bit like... Is it Gigan, the one with the beak and the, the hook claws? Yes, yep. Yep. It's got a bit of that going. Uh, it's got this, like, 
mop top hair bowl cut hair. Yes. Like <laughs> not at all what we it will eventually look like, but that was the original owl bear. Mm-hmm. And then in later editions they drew it as much more of a bear with an owl face. But the first time the owlbear showed up was in Greyhawk, 1975, the first book that would give rise to Dungeons and Dragons. And then it's been in every single version of the game since. Yeah, It's a staple. Yeah, this is classic, classic, classic. And some extra tidbits about its potential anatomy. It's been in tons of books now, and there's been bits and pieces of its anatomy and life history and ecology that have been added to and touched on, not all of which have yet to be, who be included in the current edition. Right. So some tidbits that have been mentioned in other things. One thing I found that was kind of funny is they basically all the things mentioned that they are obligate carnivores. Right. They just eat meat. One thing said that, though, one exception is that they do like honey. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And it said due to their bear origins. Yes. And evidently they are also <laughs> described sometimes as having long bear-like tongues to oh, lap up. Oh, I hate that. Right? Isn't that gross? Yep. <laughs> I found one thing that described the, the beaks as being serrated. Oh. So that they have the ability to actually shear through meat. Uh, one thing specified, they can rotate their forearms so that they can do the owlbear hug and crush. Oh, sure. Because that used to be one of their moves was hugging and crushing. Yeah. In the behavior section, they mention a number of interesting things that they do evidently hibernate. One thing did note that evidently they're poor at climbing trees, and I wonder if that was just an important feature to add in so that players had a way to avoid them. Right. <laughs> they had to give them some limitation. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no, you can climb a tree. And, <laughs> but they did specify that if it can't knock the tree over, that whatever their prey is hiding in, it'll just wait at the bottom. One thing I did find very interesting that they noted is it said, although warm-blooded and mammalian, basically, they mm-hmm. do lay eggs. I was wondering if that had come up. That has been mentioned, that they lay a clutch of eggs. It said as many as six. Weird. Almost spherical. And that the mothers, once the babies hatched, did not produce milk because the cubs were carnivorous from birth. Okay. So they were fed meat by the adults, like baby birds. Like birds, yeah, mm-hmm. that's very bird-like. And there are tons of other features that have been mentioned. Like, they've gone through the size variants and all sorts of stuff like that. But that should be about enough for us to now have an idea of what the owlbear is. Mm -hmm. Have a starting point to work from. But before we start evolving our monster, our spooky version of an owlbear, we come to our magic disclaimer section. Yeah, this is important sometimes. Yes. This year it will be especially important Yep. A number of times. (laughs) But something we always like to remind ourselves and all of you when we're doing spooky is that some monsters have features that cannot be biologically explained. Right. They're magical. Yes. Supernatural. It has something that is just not physically possible in our real world. So we can sometimes get close to explaining those things. We might be able to explain why people believe the monster has that. But if a monster can straight up use magic or has superpowers that are only fit to be in comic books and movies, then we aren't going to be able to evolve them. That falls outside the capabilities and the scope of biological evolution. So just something to keep in mind as we move forward. Uh, We will be ignoring or approximating magic stuff. Yes. 
Uh, luckily, the owlbear doesn't have... No, it's pretty. It's a pretty straightforward creature. Uh, a couple of the entries I found even specify that they are non-magical. Like, mm-hmm. that they do not have magic. Though some said that, evidently in older versions, their roar was supposed to have some sort of, like, fear-inducing or... or Sure, sure. Some power behind it. Right, like dragons. Yeah, but basically they're just an animal. A weird animal. You know, mm-hmm. they are a monstrosity, so they are... Monstrosities often are, like, hyper-aggressive and... Right. And it's interesting to cross over a little bit with our silver screen science yep. discussions. Like a lot of creatures in Spooky, the owlbear is intentionally monsterified. Yes. Right, it's aggressive, it attacks without provocation, it eats only meat... Yeah, these the, it is literally created to be a monster. Absolutely. And it, its entire existence is to be fighting. It is a combat oriented, which yes. most monsters in D&D are. Their purpose is to fight. So it's it's like it's once like when we'll get questions of what would happen if this animal or this animal or this prehistoric species or this species fought right. and who that, would win? What would happen? Yeah, and it's like, well that doesn't really work with animals because they don't want to fight bare knuckles cage match yeah that ends probably with one of them just walking away yes these monsters fight to the death yeah they've been made for that purpose (laughs) these are here to fight adventurers and give experience points so now we can start evolving talking about how would an owlbear be evolved so on the road to evolving an owlbear Again, thinking in evolutionary terms, evolution in the real world doesn't have an end goal, but we do. How might we explain something like this appearing in the real world? We start, I think, with the obvious question, is it a mammal or is it a bird? Yeah, and that's really, that's what we have to figure out because it's it's got features that are too strongly attached to those two groups. Very intentionally has some bear features and some owl features. Yeah. So do we start from mammalian ancestry and evolve bird-like traits, or do we start from avian ancestry and evolve mammal-like traits? And, and I'm curious to know what you say, because I, yeah. I have an idea. Well, I've given it a little bit of thought while I was taking the notes. Mm-hmm. And I uh, gave it a little bit of thought over the last 10 minutes yep. while you were describing Albert. Yep, stuff. yep. Because uh, my first gut was thinking of how we could go birds, because mm-hmm. getting fur-like feathers is super easy. Right. Like, Kiwis have that. Uh, sure. A lot of ancient dinosaurs had furry feathers. Exactly. So like, you know, pseudo proto featherish, just fuzz. Yeah, that's easy. The main issue is just getting claws on the front limbs. Right. Which isn't impossible, especially if we go back far enough evolutionarily. Sure, sure. Uh, but then my mind jumped over to mammals when I got to the egg section. Well, and that, see, <laughs> I started thinking, well, uh, yeah, we make a big mammal that yeah. then evolves bird tribe. I was going to come at it the other way. And then you started talking about all those bird traits. And yeah. I was like, okay, weird. And then you brought up eggs. Yeah. And I landed in monotremes. That's where I got to, too. As, because, and it feels so perfect. It you does. Eggs and it doesn't produce milk. Nope. Uh, and monotremes do, but but not quite as efficiently. They, yeah, they don't have nipples to like for the babies to suckle on. They just right. kind of sweat milk. So monotremes are the outgroup of modern mammals. So they are the most distantly related to all other mammals. Today, monotremes only include platypuses and echidnas. Yep. These are mammals that are missing a lot of the features we associate with mammals. They lay eggs. I Like you said, they don't have teats to produce milk. 
They've got a bunch of things about them that just don't quite fit for mammals. Yeah. So when I, I thought, well, monotremes lay eggs, and then I went, well, monotremes are also notoriously super weird. Super weird. And? They have beaks. And they have beaks. <laughs> <laughs> Platypuses and echidnas both have beak-like shapes on the front of their mouths. Right? <laughs> and monotremes, uh, uh, notably, used to be, in the past, way more diverse. Yes. So today, there's only the weird, the really bizarre two Australian groups left. But in the past, there were many more monotremes. Yeah, there was. this is the remnants of what was a diverse group. Yes. Now, I don't know off the top of my head if there were any giant bear-sized monotremes in no, the past. because I think um, we talked about it in one of the news pieces uh, not too long ago. They found a giant echidna, uh, which was big, if I remember right. It was like right, right. a couple or three feet long or something like that. And it was the largest echidna and also the largest monotreme. Gotcha. So that, that's a like, big badger size seems to be about as big as they've ever gotten to. Right. Placental mammals have obviously gotten as big mm-hmm. as bears. They include bears. And marsupials have gotten very big with things like diprotodon and even big predators in yep. the past. Monotremes have mostly been very small. But I would love to evolve our owl bear from a monotreme ancestor. Oh, absolutely. Well, the thing that uh, also makes them fun is they are the only ones we have today are predatory. Mm-hmm. They're insectivorous. You know, they're eating bugs yeah. and stuff, but they're hunting. They're still hunting. And if we go with the echidna, that's the one already walking around and already kind of bear shaped little squat weird bear. Yeah. But still, uh, it's got quills. Yeah. Which would be a great highly modified hairs. Yeah. And we could absolutely get them to be sort of weird feathery or flattened. Yeah. You know, if they were like kind of shinglish like a pangolin or something. And now you had this featherish looking fur. Yeah. Well, it could even develop as a display feature. Yeah. So I'm, I'm imagining something like a lion's mane. Yes. 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 But it's it's instead of just being densely packed fur, the fur takes on this broad quill-like appearance mm-hmm. to give this sort of feather-looking mane. Absolutely. And then, like, short face is a thing that tons of mammals have done. Oh, yeah. And then a beak, well, they already have beaks. Mm-hmm. Beaks are great for all sorts of different dietary modes. Uh, beaks are really good for things like seeds and plants. Yes. So it could be that it starts out as an herbivory in its ancestry. Mm-hmm. But beaks are also just really good for eating all sorts of stuff. Oh, yeah. They're, they're very, very functional, uh, multifunctional. They've also, uh, echidnas are also diggers, so they've got big claws. Yep. Which... If those started getting repurposed, uh, I had the thought of maybe if they started going toward like tearing into anthills and termite mounds sort of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And get powerful uh, anteaters, enarthrin claws. Well, and especially if they so I was I was just thinking that uh, in order to achieve the size. Mm-hmm. So an owl bear is grizzly bear size. Yes. These are big. The reason. Well, one of the reasons why monotremes never achieved giant sizes here in the real world is because there have probably because there have always been other animals occupying those size niches yeah and they just you know if you don't get there first then there's no space for you in this ecosystem too much competition but if somewhere in our real world evolutionary history 
you ended up with monotremes isolated off in an island That's or what I, yep. a, a secluded area of a continent. They live in Australia today. So there's tons of islands around Australia, mm-hmm. but also I, maybe there's like a weird isolated pocket of the outback that's mm-hmm. surrounded by really harsh environment. But then there's this little oasis of forest or something where you can have them become the main predators yes. in the ecosystem. And it would be super cool if it was an area where there, because there aren't very many predators, you get giant termite mounds or mm-hmm. giant anthills that they then evolve the ability to tear into. Yeah. Well, and I like the island idea because then we can go the gigantism route as well. Yes, absolutely. They can become start becoming bigger. And then maybe it's that either there's bigger mounds or that there are other small prey that is just a bit bigger than insects and they start Mm -hmm. stepping their way up. So, yeah, I, I like the island idea a lot. Yeah. And we could even say, so bears are omnivores mm-hmm. and beaks are really good for getting seeds and stuff. So it could be that the bear-like shape and the big beak evolved as adaptations for exploiting as many food options as possible. Yeah. So you can eat plants, you can eat insects, you can eat small animals. And then eventually, after they achieved the owl bear shape... When they reconnected with the mainland or other groups moved in, they adapted more towards hyper carnivory because there were now abundant food resources to take advantage of that. Yeah. Or maybe there was now new competition for those other food items that Mm -hmm. they get off the island. And now there there are specialist nut eaters and there are specialist ant eaters that are pushing them out of those other non-red meat options. They're also nocturnal, mm-hmm. um, which not only is like plenty of mammals are nocturnal. Yeah. That's not hard to do. That's also a very useful predator feature. Yes, absolutely. And it would explain why they have giant owl eyes yes. for seeing well in the darkness. And a really good sense of smell would also help with that. Absolutely. So those keen senses could have evolved as a method uh, for hunting, but also for foraging. Yep. In that deeper ancestry where you have to find fruits or seeds or termite mounds or whatever. And that's that's something that could have happened before they got big. You know, if they mm-hmm. were scuttling around at night to avoid predators. And so they got these really good eyes and, and were good at maneuvering at night and then just didn't evolve it away. Yeah. Like, well, they could even have evolved themselves into a corner where maybe they became so well adapted for night vision that their eyes aren't actually good for the daytime as much anymore. Yes, exactly. This is this harkens to a real-life hypothesis, which is called the nocturnal bottleneck hypothesis, which is the idea that modern-day mammals, color vision is not as good as a lot of other animals. It's yep. not as good as reptiles or fish or birds. And the kind of limitations we see in mammalian color vision are similar to what we see in nocturnal animals. So it's been suggested that early mammals might have adapted to be really good for nocturnal living and in doing so lost some of their color vision capability. And then they gave rise to the modern diversity of mammals who all inherited that slightly altered visual capacity. Yeah, absolutely. Which means that even day dwelling, you know, diurnal mammals today 
still have somewhat limited color vision just because of their ancestry. Yes. You could have had a very similar situation here with our uh, fake owlbears. Absolutely. For our real owlbears. <laughs> One thought I had is in regards to their meat eating, but this also can apply to just their general behavior, is do they become truly hyper carnivorous or is that just the perception that they have? Right. And this is something we've talked about in Spooky in the past is that especially when it comes to features of animals that don't really make a ton of sense for a natural organism to have, we always like to consider that the perspective we're getting is from people who wrote down this information yes. sometime from encountering these animals. Because well, that's happened with real-world animals all the time. Absolutely. Where hyenas get described as these filthy, ferocious scavenging lowlifes mm -hmm. because yeah the person who wrote about them was wrong right <laughs> was was coming at it from a completely biased and mistaken point of view that if they were like a threat to livestock so it's like yeah no they are predatory you know and they're attacking people's sheep or pigs or or you yeah. know pets and so people are like they're just ferocious they're just m mindless killers and they will eat any meat that's in front of them because yeah it's anti-owlbear propaganda yes. so that we can put a bounty on their head and get them wiped out from the forest. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I was just thinking about that reputation of ferocious, ill-tempered. And I like that idea that maybe it's anytime people encountered them, they were defending a kill. Yes. Right. It was livestock. They had just killed a cow or something. My other thought was along the same lines, bears are famous for being extremely protective of their young. Yes. Maybe early accounts of owlbears came from people who had encountered parents yep. who were defending their young, and maybe they do become extremely territorial during mating or denning time. Well, and you could, you could absolutely expand that to general territoriality mm -hmm. and just that, yeah, they, they defend a range you know, it could be something as simple as like grizzly bears to where it's like, yeah, you can't have five grizzly bears in just a few acres. Right. Like there's not enough food for five grizzly. Like they need to have multiple acres per grizzly bear. So they chase other grizzly bears away. Yeah. And that territoriality goes nicely with some of the physical features we've described being large, yep. which is good for intimidating opponents, having that feathery mane. As a display feature to warn others away or to attract mates, but also hooting and screeching yes. can be really useful as a threat display. Yeah, and to or establish. To, or to establish territory like tigers. Yes. Where it's like, yeah, you just roar into the forest so any other tigers around know to stay out of yeah. here. If you can hear me, you're too close. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's noted tons and tons of times that they keep layers, that they have caves or hollowed out trees that they have a home base that they settle into mm -hmm. where they raise their young but also where they bring their kills back and store the kills so it would absolutely make sense that an owlbear moves into an area and that's where that owlbear is going to be yes. for as long as that den serves its purposes you know if it is doing just fine in that cave it's going to be in that cave until it dies so it's going to defend yes. this territory you know it's centralized around a home Another thing that uh, this ties nicely into is the idea that a very territorial, large, and not particularly social animal would be very difficult to domesticate. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like modern day. Uh, we haven't domesticated bears. Yep. 
though that's a hard animal to try to tame. Yes. Very cool. So our owlbear that we have created would be a close relative of platypuses and echidnas. Yep. Probably leaning toward the echidna side of things. With quill-like fur that has developed this feathery, quilly mane around the neck. Potentially getting started as a nocturnal plunderer of anthills or something. With big claws, perhaps like talons, Mm -hmm. that evolved originally and maybe even still today to tear apart termite mounds or maybe trees. Or to dig the burrows that they den in, their Mm -hmm. lair as it were. Yep. At some point, the lineage gets stuck on an island. And develops gigantism. Gets real big. And 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 I also like the island because then now you've reduced the options of food. Like, there's just, you don't have as many options because there's less species on an island, typically. Mm-hmm. Which gives great reasons for why it would potentially turn carnivorous. Of yes. like, yeah, you may there may have been enough for you to survive, but there's... There's just not the diversity of insects that there were on the mainland. Yeah. You gotta start eating birds. So yeah, you gotta start catching lizards and you gotta start catching birds and you gotta start or fish. Fish, yeah. You have to start catching other things. Then just it skews you toward carnivory. Which yeah, no, I that's that's a really nice fit. And then we get it back to the mainland where it either continues getting big, mm-hmm. you know, where it continues that path. Now there's even more food. Yep. And now competition. Yep. With increasing populations, uh, which could drive its size and aggression. Yeah. There's a lot of things that I like about this build, <laughs> this this <laughs> evolutionary line. One, monotremes. Monotremes! Awesome. I don't think we've used monotremes no. before. No, we haven't. Very cool. Two, because we're going with monotremes, we are in the Australian area of the world. And of course, Australia would produce owl bears. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. No. Can you picture it? I, I want a Steve Irwin Ranger <laughs> sneaking up on an owl bear and giving a description. Isn't she gorgeous? <laughs> but then also what really strikes me about this one is that this feels so this this is an odd, spooky creature. Because it feels so reasonable. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, so often our spooky creatures are a little bit of a stretch. And we intentionally put the least weird ones up at the front of the month. Yes. But no, this this feels like a thing that could just actually exist out there. Absolutely. Well, it, it feels like the predatory you know, marsupials of the fossil record mm-hmm. to where it's like you're, you're super weird as far as predators go because we don't have large lion-sized marsupial predators anymore. Yes. So we every other predator we have that's a big mammal is a placental. Oh. So you have weird features. And then you also get those moments where it's like, and you're of a group where the only member left today is the Tasmanian devil, which is like the size of a shoebox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Well, and I, I love this idea because we've talked about this a bunch on the podcast where we have certain members of groups that are still around today that seem weird, but they only seem weird because they're the only ones left. Yes. Maybe there was a whole diversity of bird-faced monotremes yep, yep. in the ancestry, that the, the past of our owlbear evolution, but the only ones that still survive today is the owlbear. Yes. Maybe there were all sorts of different weird owlbear-like creatures. Yep. And the only one that made it 
is the owlbears. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And then, yeah, once they get back on the mainland, you can have things shifted around and you get the polar ones. And Yeah, if they move up higher latitudes mm-hmm. where it's a bit colder or higher altitudes where it's colder, yep. you can get uh, uh, snowy owlbears. Which is like tons of animals that have species, you know, groups of animals that have species in cold get big and white. So that's, you don't have, we don't have to mix it with a polar bear to get that feature. Yes. There are also other weird subsets. Like there's the winged owlbear, which has actually full-blown wings. Sure. Uh, which I don't think is going to happen in this evolutionary line. Not in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Yeah. I'm quite happy with our monotreme, our, our echidna owlbear. Oh, see, now this is also where I get, I don't know. I know that like, I've heard platypus make noises because I've seen videos where they make their like weird chatter noise Mm. i don't know what noise echidnas make uh which now makes me wonder if it's one of those where like its noise doesn't actually sound like an owl screech at all it's just some weird noise but because it's got a bird face everyone calls it a a screech and calls it it but it's like no that's a weird echidna noise like that animal says cockadoodle do yes no it doesn't (laughs) that's not true shazoo (laughs) yeah this is i like this one this is a good one to get started with Yeah. But of course, like we said at the top, this is not meant to be serious. This is not meant to be definitive. You, dear listeners, might have your own thoughts about how you would speculatively evolve an owlbear, and we'd love for you to share those. Absolutely. Like, if you have other ideas, other creatures that you can think of, or if there's details that you can fill into this evolutionary line, I always love when people come in and say, another way we could have gotten to the same animal you described, but... Yeah. A different history that could have happened. Because that's what we have when we look at actual fossil animals and go, well, maybe you were aquatic or lived underground. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have other cool ideas, you can share. check the episode description for social media. Check our Discord. I'm sure there will be plenty of discussion on our Discord. Yes, we have, we have channels channel. for it. Also, and this is not to like ask for this. But in the past, it's happened that people sometimes make fan art mm-hmm. of our monsters. And which, we love it every time. Oh, my gosh. It's so cool. So if you are inspired yes. to make fan art, uh, please tag us in it. Yep. Send it to us. or Share with us uh, at us on the social medias. Mm-hmm. Let us see it. Uh, and if you're cool with it, we'll share it around as well. Yeah. You can you could hashtag common descent. Uh, you could also hashtag spooky or speculative evolution in that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We can start checking hashtags. Mm -hmm. And we have a section on our blog where we will share fan art if if people send it up to us and are cool with it being shared. Yeah. And with that, we can wrap up episode one of 2022 Spooky. Yeah, that's episode one of four. Of four. Every Saturday following this one, we will have another episode this month. Next episode will come out next Saturday. Yep, with another Dungeons and Dragons monster. One down, three to go. Any guesses, anybody? (laughs) Let us know what you think might be coming up in the future of Spooky. And while you wait, if you are interested, you can always check out our previous years of Spooky. We've done movies and myths and plants and all sorts of other groups of monsters. So check those out. And see you next time for Spooky. Spookulative evolution. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening to the Common Descent Podcast. 
You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and check our WordPress blog for pictures and links after each episode. Huge thanks to our patrons whose support helps keep this podcast running and who get access to bonus goodies on Patreon. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome, which we found at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.